Fangoria Magazine has never been better and now is offering even more horror content for members than ever before. In addition to the four beautiful 100-page coffee table-worthy issues a year, you'll also now get exclusive access to digital horror content like long-form pieces, deep dives, and daily thoughts from the biggest names in horror, access to the Fangoria Vault, and a constant curation of our editorial team's favorite links from across the internet. They take the time to aggregate the most important news and horror in one space so that you don't have to. Become a Fangoria Plus member today and get the best of both worlds, all the horror you crave, on your shelves and on your screens. Go to Fangoria.com and become a member today. Use promo code QUIRL for 15% off right now. Hi everyone, it's Brennan here. I am just cutting in really quick to warn you that through some trickery of the audio gods, the first half of the episode, uh, Nay's audio is not present. It will kick in probably about 45 minutes in. We're really sorry about that. Thanks for bearing with us as we kind of, you know, transition to remote recording. It's been a wild time and I hope you're all staying safe. Welcome back to Attack of the Queer Wolf. I'm Michael. I'm Brennan. And I'm Mark. Hi. Hey. <laughs> we do have Mark Fortin back. Hi, Mark. Hi, everybody. How's it going? It's good. It's good to see you in one fourth of my computer screen. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be back, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, nice to be back. With you all, the sort of has to do with the fact that, you know, I, I am a mole with, person. With the capacity yeah. for anything to be nice currently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's in terms of uh, the, the relativity in which we describe things being nice these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is nice, though. It's nice to see all of us together. <laughs> How are you guys? I'm all right. <laughs> Yeah, not gonna lie, it's been a very rough week for me, but I'm happy to yeah, see all of you. I'm with you there, yeah. Brennan. I had a really bad day yesterday. Yeah. We're grading on a scale here, so that's great. I'm happy to hear it. Yeah, it's a curve. Uh, yesterday, I looked out the window for 15 minutes, and then I tried to take a nap, and then I played with my dog. That, so that was yesterday. I did. <laughs> I also took a nap yesterday, and at the end of the nap, my hair looked perfect, which has never happened before. So that was exciting. You had a good hair nap? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I think I'm O for like 2,258 on naps during this quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I lay down to take a nap, it just doesn't happen. (laughs) I have a random random nap question for you all. Mm -hmm. Do you like to nap in your bed? Yes, because I am a I prefer to nap on the couch. I don't like to nap in my bed. Is that weird? I feel like napping on the couch is more is like I don't know. It just seems more right than going and napping in my bed. That's so weird today. Um, yeah, you wanted to have like occupy a different space. I get that. Yeah, I definitely want to occupy a different space. Couches I just feel like nap places. Yeah, I feel like if I have a nap in bed in the middle of the day, it's like, there's like a little voice in me that goes like, 
you're depressed as opposed to if it's on the couch, it's just like, no, I need a nap. That's kind of how I feel too. Yeah. And there's something about like being in bed in broad daylight that screams, you know, help. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Plus I feel like if I walked in the couch, I'm not saying I haven't been there. (laughs) Plus if I nap on the couch, I feel like I did something. Mm. (laughs) You check that off the list. Mm. Right. Um, for me, I never plan to nap. They're always just a fun little surprise where it's like, oh, I was listening to a podcast and now it's 30 minutes later. (laughs) Dish on what podcast? Literally, literally any podcast. Although I do have certain podcasts that are nap podcasts where I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to reverse those 30 minutes. It's fine. I'll just pretend I heard them. I heard it somehow. It's fine. Yeah, I probably absorbed it more yes. deeply than any other podcast I listen to. It's true. My favorite thing to nap to is the Shutter feed. <laughs> I like turning on Shutter and just listening to screams as I fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's comforting. <laughs> anyway, the roar of a chainsaw as you're like. <sighs> I tried to nap yesterday to Marilyn Burns getting chased by Leatherface. <laughs> One of the most shrill scenes in cinema history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, out like a light. Out like a light. Speaking of tea time, what has everyone been watching besides everything? <laughs> Brennan, yes. what about you? Let's start with you. Well, I do have another brief entry in the Crimmy Marathon. Just to warn you, this one's not a song, so don't worry. Um, Is it a rap? <laughs> no. Um, Mark, just to catch you up, I have been doing a new marathon of the Crimmy movies. They are these um, 60s movies from Germany that are like mm-hmm. proto-slashers um, about yeah. crimes happening in London. They're pretty much all based on the novels of Edgar Wallace. Um, and they feature a lot of German translated into posh British, like clipped dialogue, which is always bizarre. Um, so this one is on behalf of listener Sarah Wagner, who donated to my uh, fundraiser. Um, it's a movie from 1965 by Harold Reinl called Der Unheimliche Munch, which means the sinister monk. Um, Ooh, like that title. Yeah, it was actually, it was pretty fun. Like, out of all of these that I've watched, this is probably, like, taking the number two slot. Like, there were still some moments where it was like, oh, you know, 60s German movie that can't really be that all that exciting. But um, it this one's kind of Knives Out-esque. Um, oh, an old man, fun. yeah, an old man dies, his family, like, he um, bequeaths all of his money to his granddaughter, who for some reason is has just started living in this girl's school, even though she's not one of the students, but it's owned by her aunt or something. And all of her relatives come sniffing around trying to, uh, you know, get the inheritance or marry her or whatever. And a bunch of men keep kidnapping the girls from the school thinking that they're her. <laughs> um, so there's like... Do they a, even look like her? Yeah. You know, a okay. bunch of 60s German girls. They look similar. Um <laughs> But yeah, so it's it's really fun. It's very like Bay of Blood esque, like this family intrigue of like a bunch of different people kind of creeping up from the corners. And also there is like the ghost of the school, which is a monk who whips people to death. <laughs> um so it's it's all very Accurate. complicated. Um 
but I just, I had a lot of fun with it. It is like the best of these are the ones that get kind of like, they're either, you know, the old dark house kind of murder mysteries or like very James Bond and the best ones are both. (laughs) Um, but this one, one of the girls, um, to defend herself, she has a water gun full of sulfuric acid. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Which is, it doesn't burn the water gun. No, of course not. (laughs) Um, Mark. Yeah, which I recommend to everyone. Um, I'm like, I like the way she thinks. Yeah. And also, um, the headmistress of the school, the, whoever dubbed her English voice is very Lauren Bacall in the fan. Um, Ooh. So is it Mark? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, this movie, it's, it's just, it's pretty like daffy and wacky and fun. Like halfway through, all of a sudden, we are introduced to a new character who is this terrifying man who just lives in the tower at this school who just acts like he's been there the whole time that's cool (laughs) and uh what else oh i did i shared a clip on my twitter that you can dig up but it's this like 45 second scene where literally nothing happens a woman looks out a window she watches a man walk around an ambulance and then lift up like a rock with a literal smoking gun underneath it (laughs) um but the amount of music that papers over Every single little motion or moment in this movie is just tuba blasts left and left and right, and just you know like and literally just doing nothing, <laughs> just walking across a field, and the music is doing so much work, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> cool. And it's called the Sinister Monk, you say? Yes, I say. Yes, yes, it is. I. Where can one find the Sinister Monk? Where Where does one find this Sinister Monk? Um, pretty, <laughs> pretty much all of these movies that I've watched are on Amazon Prime for like two bucks. Oh, okay, perfect. By the way, like I fall into the Amazon Prime K hole easily. Like, a week they have the most bananas collection of the most budget, crazy ass, horny seventies like sub <laughs> hammer. Like, I mean, I don't even know what, like, stuff that I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, I was like, I can't believe I don't know about this. And then I watch it, and then I'm like, oh, that's why I don't know about this. But, um, holy Amazon Prime is also really good for 80s and 90s TV movies. Tons. Tons of great ones. Like, all the Hillary Swanks Mm -hmm. (laughs) TV movies are on there. They're the best. All the Candace Camerons, all the Zach Morrises, they're all great. you know what I need to find? I need to find um, Chasing the Dragon with Marky Post. <gasps> oh my god, Marky Post. Oh my yeah, no, she plays a suburban uh, mom who sends her kids off to school and then she like freebases. <laughs> and it's, but it's, it's, which is not funny per se, but when it's Marky right. Post doing it, it's a little funny. Mark, what have you been watching? Um, I have been watching, I've been watching Making the Cut on Amazon, oh, yeah. which is really soothing. I find it really soothing to watch uh, craft or expertise-based shows, and the people on that show are extremely talented, and so, like, what it lacks in sort of reality show drama, like, I don't really mind, because, like, the, the vast majority of the things that these people are creating are, like beautiful to look at and you know naomi campbell is there to like be withering and it's kind of you know like what's not to like um there's also i revisited groundhog day 
last night. Yeah, that's what you said. It's so good. It's so good. It holds up. Um, it's just so good. Um, it's a really good movie. Yeah, I did watch Guild Alive as well. I cried at the toward the end of Groundhog Day, and then of course I cried during Guild Alive. But I always cry during Guild Alive. And then right. there's another movie that I want, like everything, everything lately, like just even like the slightest moments of like change or character <laughs> building in movies. Like now I'm like, nah! like I'm just like, <laughs> a wreck. I'm just a wreck. It's just where I'm at and it's fine. So uh, last night then uh, Josh and I put on Death Spa. Uh, Ooh, okay. Which uh, I cried tears of joy and laughter because... It is um, insane, and I hadn't seen it in years, and it is a delight. So, um, yes, you can find uh, Death Spa on a variety of platforms, and uh, if you like spandex and weird ghosts and computers making Nautilus equipment malfunction and ripping apart <laughs> like, beautiful, be- horrible, beautiful people, then you're in luck. You'll enjoy Death Spot. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a good time. it's a late 80s movie that is set dressed like it's from 2060. <laughs> it's like the Apple. It's kind of like the Apple where you just go, what? What spa would ever look like this? This is like a, a crazy person <laughs> like designed this place. It's horrible. Um but in the best way. So that's awesome. Um I'm trying to think if I've watched anything else. Um I will say that I've watched this week's film twice now because uh, you know, just to to prepare and um I and then you watch it three other times just for fun. <laughs> yes, and I came ready to party. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Helen knows the owner. <laughs> um, I watched Shaun of the Dead last night with Brian, and he had never seen it before. Such a good movie. Um, but midway through the movie, I go, oh, fuck. And he's like, what? I go, I can't tell you, but I'm going to cry. Because <laughs> of, of Barbara. And I was like, why did I put this on? Um, but it's so touching. But in a more, uh, that movie's so fun, but in a more fun manner, I watched Popcorn Ooh. on Friday night with Ryan Turk and his wife, Ciara. We Zoomed each other and managed to actually completely sync up our viewing of the movie on each other's ends to the point that I could actually turn my volume down and hear the movie from his <laughs> side of the computer. Um, and I haven't seen that movie in so long. It is so fucking awesome. It's so, so bonkers. Um, it's really fun. The only place I could find it is on an app called Flix Fling, <laughs> which is F I L X fling and they do have a seven day free trial the copy of the movie looked like it was ripped from youtube and then put vaseline over the copy oh my um but and it actually sounds like flick flicks fling sounds like um mark remember my pilot streamy yes (laughs) it sounds fake or it sounds like something you'd see on 30 rock um (laughs) but that movie's so great popcorn is about a group of film students who put together a horror movie marathon to raise money for the film department. Um, but it's just so great because like, I'm like, why did they need to raise money when they had all this extra shit going on at this movie? Like 
killer mosquitoes and <laughs> giant fog machines, uh, a, a reggae band, like all this stuff. I'm like, just you could have just used the funds that you spent. But anyway, um, and it has one of the best reveals in slasher history because it's so stupid. Um, and then I watched Demons this week too. Mm-hmm. So I must have been in like, let's watch movies set in movie theaters. So that's what I watched this week. And I have literally been, since I we're home all the time. I always put on shutters slash extreme because they have the best. Like this morning alone, there was deep red, mm-hmm. the Ranger pieces. And then what was the one that was on when I first turned it on this morning at like 8am? It was another like, Oh, tourist trap. <laughs> oh, tr- <laughs> like tourist those trap four, so good. It's so good. Those four movies were on back to back to back to back on their feed. And it's just so great. Mark, do you know that Nay caught up to me on Grey's Anatomy? No. So she watched like 16 seasons in a row. <laughs> I actually really enjoy what they did because listening, I read an interview with the uh, the showrunner who said that she's like, no matter what I chose, people would have been upset because the only thing we could do is write them off the show and you don't see them again or kill them. And you don't see him again. So mm-hmm. she decided that it, for the respect of the character and the actor that they wanted to write him off the show where he was still alive and like essentially having his happily ever after. And I really like that they did that. Yeah. No, same. <laughs> <laughs> the first 23 I- seasons or so. The first 38 seasons, but my favorite part, Nay, was how they didn't have him or Catherine Heigl, so they just kept showing these two people from behind. (laughs) It's like, they hate Catherine Heigl so much, they just showed some blonde woman from behind and said... so funny i was like oh look at brian's like who are these people i was like i don't know some lady whose face is in a pillow (laughs) oh so funny though i know (laughs) so great so great i loved it too people were pissed online but i loved it uh-huh. I thought it was great. I was like, this is kind of, kind of like gutsy to like just have two main characters that people fell in love with for 16 years just be played by extras. <laughs> anyway, we're here for some old school tea. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't know either. I want Mark to introduce what we're talking about today. Uh, okay. Well, um, I was, uh, I was asked to come back as a guest and I was so graciously and, um, how could I resist? Uh, because it had been so long and, and also, um, I'm trapped in my home (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) and, uh, um, and no, and I think it was really exciting too, because it had been so long since I'd been, uh, on, on the pod, I thought, I don't think it was my idea actually, but it felt appropriate to finally for everybody to discuss one of the most infamous 
sort of uh, and and sort of controversial movies of queer cinema is 1980 William Friedkin cruising. Ooh. I'm actually really surprised we haven't done this movie sooner. Well, we were kind of. S- it's one of the Go big ahead. guns. We were kind of saving cruising for a big moment, and I think this is a big moment. Yeah, <laughs> this is a moment. This is a big moment for you know for the world. Yeah, I'm glad us. we didn't. I'm glad we hadn't done it yet because when Mark yeah. texted me and said, "Let's do cruising," did I? Well, we were all texting, and then we were like, "Mark, why don't you just pick a movie?" Look, I wasn't okay, trying to toot I, my own horn, but since just to clear the air of what literally happened, I said, let's do cruising, but that's because I knew oh. Mark would really want to do cruising. There you go. Okay. So it did come okay, from Mark see, I, in his heart. I was like, am I losing my mind because I don't think I suggested it? But whatever, here we are. I didn't remember, so I just made stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> so Brennan? Yes. Apologies to you. No, no, no. No, that's why, no I, I wasn't going to correct you because I was like, I literally don't give a shit, but it was confusing Mark so much. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say it. And actually, it made for a really funny moment. So Please stop fighting. Please stop. Please um, but yes, we're talking about cruising um, from 1980. Alleged, um, allegedly. Yeah. Do we, do we have shady summaries? Did we remember... Uh huh. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. I have one. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. Um, cruising. A movie where a man in his 40s pretends to be in his late 20s, <laughs> aka the gayest part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's solid. One of, one of, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have one. Um, not the only 80s slasher with fisting, but the one that makes me the sweatiest. <laughs> That's good, B. Thank you. <laughs> and how about you, Mark? Uh, it's not really a shitty summary. It's the best, like, but it's sort of the best I could come up with was, um, was who's here? I'm here. We're queer. Get used to it. I don't know. It was really stupid. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> very but, true you know, but i was like is i was like working on it and i was like oh maybe there's a way to like link those two parts of gay culture and history up and then i arrived to this very moment and uh, i realized no there's there's not a way to link them up properly so anyway that's the best <laughs> i had i enjoy it uh, well thank you mm-hmm. um i know i i feel like there are camps uh, regarding this movie, and uh, I don't know, are we are we going to play the trailer? Or is that necessary? Or no, no trailer. No trailer. Fuck that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we stopped playing the trailer a while ago. That's true. Um, so I wasn't sure if um, you know where you guys like sort of fell. Like I don't know. I mean, like where to begin a discussion about this movie is like I, I mean pick something but like yeah but i am interested in knowing like who who here is like pro cruising who is anti who is kind of like um i love cruising with the exception of the blisteringly boring final 25 minutes i find it (laughs) fascinating and i really really like it it's a lot of minutes 
to be bored. <laughs> well, well, look, Al, pa- Al Pacino is giving an incredibly empty performance. And really when he's just walking he's a- through a park staring at a kid's window, not my jam. But yeah. everything else, I, you know, we're going to talk about the problematic elements of this film. But I have a blast with this movie. I think it's really interesting. And I find that more valuable than it being, you know, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I find the movie to be very... um very heightened on the senses, especially like sight. <laughs> but like the thing that I love about this movie is I don't personally think it's a good movie. Like I think technically it's like not even well directed. If you ask me, especially since it's someone like Friedkin and uh, I don't think it's a particularly good movie, but I feel like I can taste the movie and like smell <laughs> the movie and touch the movie. Like I feel like all my senses are alive while watching this film and that's that's like a really great thing right like you like i turned to brian brian had never seen it before when we were watching it and i turned to him and i was like i feel like i can smell this bar and like i don't mean that in any other way other than like they really do a good job of making you feel like you are really present during those scenes (laughs) michael i feel like every time you talk about watching a movie with brian every time i listen to the pod you're always like and brian had never seen it and i always go like brian is like on rumspringer like he's like (laughs) (laughs) he's like what's this what's a movie okay like you're just like constantly introducing him to like (laughs) always i mean he's catching up on the the whoredom um he's like want to watch a slasher movie with fisting um yes (laughs) Uh um but that's kind of my there's like a strong essence to this film (laughs) i find i find this movie i think it's a masterpiece i think it's so fundamentally misunderstood i understand people who are can't fuck with cruising but i I just go, it it is so, I I find that so much of the resistance within the gay community to cruising existing, um, I think predominantly, I mean, putting aside depictions of violence and like, you know, depictions of violence as like endorsement, which I always think is mostly ridiculous, but um, is that I just feel like it's like a lot of bougie gays that didn't want the leather community and the BDSM community to be represented whatsoever um, to a mass audience. And I, I think my favorite thing about cruising is the fact that it takes queer sexuality really seriously. And yeah, I would rather it be depicted at queer sexuality, be depicted as something that can like that, that really does tap into something very real in the sense that like Pacino's character is like, it is like, what am I? Am I this? Is this something in me? Like, do I, is this something, a part of me that I'd never knew existed there? Yeah. I would rather have that be depicted than be the butt of a joke or be, you know, only, um, I have one wish that I wish cruising touched on that it doesn't, but uh, like, I mean, I don't even know where to begin, but like, I guess I'll start for me at the beginning, which is like, I almost feel like cruising is like Friedkin's clap back to his own movie, the French connection, like French connection is such a pro kind of police kind of like rogue police, Mm. like the the cop, the dirty cop will do whatever it takes to like catch the bad guy kind of thing, which is such a like rah, rah police movie. 
Whereas it's cruising is like two to me. Yeah, but cruising is so anti-police. I mean, it is so anti-police to me in so many ways. Like, so right from jump, you have a coroner screaming at a detective for his lack of interest in pursuing the case of a severed arm. Then you have misogynist beat cops who are choosing to harass and sexually violate innocent trans women as the real killer literally strolls by. Um, right. It, it's just, and, and also like anytime police within the movie are accused of untoward behavior, it's literally dismissed. It's like, nope, no, it's like, I, I find the way... It, I mean, it's, it's not like, even just dismissed. Like, at one point, it's like, literally, someone's tossed out of an office. Oh, yeah. Like, literally being like, help me. Yeah. And the cops just like, fuck you. Because of that, that's just, like, one reason why, like, I, I just go, I find this movie incredibly brave. Like, I find, I, I just, it still blows my mind that Friedkin had the presence of mind to make it. At the time, I can't believe it got made at the time. (laughs) I I don't think it wouldn't get made today. So the only reason it did get made, by the way, which Steven Spielberg was the original director attached to cruising. (laughs) Right. I remember reading that. (laughs) So just. And then 18 comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like, so, you know, it's interesting. Nay, I love that you said before you were like, this is hell. This is the stuff that people do. It sends them to hell. And I was like, well, it was shot in the Hellfire Club. So it's kind of apropos that you put it that way. Um, like the exterior of the club that Pacino and everybody go, or he just goes to is the mineshaft, but the mineshaft had a strict rule. It, I don't know. It's There's two different versions. Friedkin insists that he did shoot in the mineshaft, but I read other things that said the mineshaft was like, absolutely not. It's members only. It's very private. You can use the exterior and only the Hellfire Club was uh, was uh, agreed to be a location, and but a lot of regulars from the mine shafts ended up performing in the movie, literally and figuratively. And um, and I do think like it's like you can listen to you can you can look at like whatever's problematic about the movie, and listen to Friedkin talk about it and hear him say things like in the gay lifestyle, you know, like he's very like old old school guy about it but like he describes in detail befriending like the owner of the mine shaft who was a guy called maddie the horse who was part of the gambito family <laughs> and he was like you want to know <laughs> this interview he was like you want to know how he got that name <laughs> and the guy was like sure and he goes he got the name maddie the horse because he was rumored to have punched out a horse <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be because of this. No, he <laughs> literally punched the horse. That's and, amazing. And so not like, really, but it's amazing. The mob owned the mob owned all these places, and yeah. so freaking, he was like, "I really want to shoot in one of these places." And so the manager of the place was like, "Okay, but you have to, you know, you can't stand out. You have to observe the code." So he was like. So he's like, so I went with one of my buddies in a jockstrap, and we stood there the whole night just, like, watching, and nobody hit on us because we were the most unexpected. <laughs> and, and, like, and I just go, like, that's some fucking balls, you know? Like, that's a fucking, like, that's amazing to me, you know what I mean? Because to me, like, he has the respect for the community and right. the to be willing to portray it as it is and not try to... Um, I don't know, make any excuses about it. I just, I don't know. To me, like, it's amazing. But, I, you know, for, this, but for the same reasons that I love the movie and respect it and find it fascinating, other people find it revolting. So, 
Yeah, there, there's and there's two sides of a coin there because obviously, like, I do think that certain elements of like the parts that are just panning across what's going on at the bar, like, I think it was probably intended for like for the straight audience to stare at in goggle-eyed horror, but it's not shot that way, like. And I'm thinking of like the scene where the two men go home with each other and one of them does turn out to be the killer, but like the scene where they're kind of flirting and they start undressing, it's yeah. hot as fuck. Yeah, like, I was gonna say, I don't think any of it's sanitized or any of it's over like overly I can't think of a better like think of the the right word, but I don't I think it he just shows what it is. It yeah, like it's, just is, you know what I mean? So I don't like if anyone looks at it and like like you said, goggled eyed horror. That's like on the them. Audience is bringing yeah. to it. Yeah, that's on them because I don't think Freed Freed can intend that at all. You know, I, I, I feel like I, Michael, I agree with you. Like, I, and I have no doubt, Brennan, that like plenty of audiences went to gawk and point. Oh, for sure. You gross. Yeah. But like again, that's about them, not the movie or the performers. But it's like it's so obvious to me in the like one of my favorite things about the movie is the fact that the men in the movie who like have a precinct night who are playing at being cops, they are in, they are a community. They are engaging in a variety of ways. Um, they are, they are being performative in terms of playing at the idea of cops. Whereas in the movie, real cops, almost 201 are duplicitous and violent and hateful. And like, and it's, Fascinating. Like, okay, so the scene that everybody talks about of this movie is that when the six foot five man in a cowboy hat and jockstrap enters the <laughs> interrogation, beats, <laughs> beats the, the witness and yeah. walks out and reads the newspaper. <laughs> and reads the newspaper. That's real. That is something. That is a technique that, um, according to Sonny Grasso, who was one of Friedkin's uh, advisors on. Um, on French Connection and this as well, and Randy Jurgensen, that Steve Burns, uh, Al Pacino's character was based on as the guy who went undercover in this world. Uh, he said, if a witness was being difficult, they would have this guy come in, slap them, and then later, if they went before a judge and they said, well, I didn't do it, Your Honor, but you have to understand, they interrogated me in a six-foot-five black man in a, in a cowboy hat and a jockstrap. And a jockstrap. And then whatever, you know... But I didn't do it. Of course, the judge would be like, "Uh huh, okay, sure." Like, <laughs> it, wow! It, I mean, it's so it's so pernicious and so sneaky and and just and it's it's fucked. And the fact that Freakin is willing to depict uh, sort of scenes of violence that are consensual and then non-consensual are just just I, I find the interplay between the two in this movie just unrelenting and mind-blowing and again like I just go this movie is 40 he did this 40 fucking years ago crazy I don't know yeah and there's a lot about this movie that's really smart like and if we're taking you know kind of the Carol J. Clover approach to looking at what the slasher movie did in terms of like presenting a <clears throat> the idea that like a slasher killer is generally like a sexually frustrated killer who's using the knife as kind of like a phallic symbol to literally penetrate his victims because he can't like express that any other way. This is that's it, this is that, but for us, um, and literally the 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 metaphor is crude 
and doesn't um, work with our current understanding of gender necessarily, but I really, really um, enjoy the kind of almost tongue-in-cheek fact that the like phallic penetration is a men being stabbed in the back at all times, mm-hmm. um, which is like the most explicit metaphor for like you know anal sex and like what they're going for and what like they're this person is afraid of and well, i think that's so even a metaphor he actually even in the peep show booth murder there is literally two seconds of actual anal intercourse in in the middle of the murder you have yeah. to like you have to like watch for it, it. Like, oh, shit, there it is <laughs> like I mean, the balls on this guy. I love it. <laughs> I love uh, one of Steve's first times in the bar when um, he decides he should flag yellow and <laughs> homeboy comes up and is like, hey, you into water sports? He's like, nah, I just, I just like right? water. He's like, then take off the fucking hanky, bitch. To that point, okay, so when they first introduced Steve Burns, I find, and also, I just, I uh, forever, I want to make my ringtone Paul Sorvino <laughs> saying, heavy leather. Um, right. Has <laughs> a man ever sucked your cock? Right, okay, so when you ask him these things, Pacino plays it so bashful. He plays it so like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I know, yeah. And you just kind of go like, I feel like, I mean, from the top of the movie, Pacino is is could be read as like covering up like someone uh, covering up youthful experimentation or something or like kind of like brushing it off and being there's something about the performance choice that i don't know i find telling and fascinating that i find it fascinating because he made a choice because i don't think he does that for the rest of the movie (laughs) so let me throw these magazines away Not interested. (laughs) (laughs) Going off what you just said, though, Brennan, like his choices, like Mark was just talking about how like in that first scene in the police station, he was supposed to kind of be like shy. Mm -hmm. And like, I think the character would have benefited from having like a less like Pacino just he was in his 40s and like looked like for lack of a better term, rough around the edges. And if you had a little bit more of a younger cheruby type person, mm. I think it would have gone across better the rest of the movie, personally. You know what I mean? Like, because I never... To me, he looks like he has a secret. Uh, <laughs> and that he's had to live with something eating at him. That's true, you know? too. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, because yeah. I love the moment when we see him lifting weights... After right. going to the bar like once or twice because he totally is like, okay, I, I want to get into this culture that's going on I think here. my favorite moment with he's him just, like, is at a big the end when room. he's looking in the mirror and caressing his own Adam's apple. And I'm like, oh, you're you're so gay, dude. <laughs> like, like, the moment he uh, really came to terms with it, he's like, am I turned on by my own neck? <laughs> yes. You are. <laughs> he, yes, the bulge in his neck. Yeah. The bulge in his neck was phallic. Nay, when you brought up the, the yellow hanky thing, like that scene came after he went to that store and started getting like a mm-hmm. rundown. And he was like, yeah, I don't want to pick. I'm, I'm in the pick. I'm going to go. And the guy's like, I'm sure you'll make the right decision. And then later he picks. And I was like, 
okay, all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he knew what he wanted. He started realizing what he wanted. Yeah, exactly. Clearly. Is that, um, oh, God, what's his name, Michael Ironside? No. I don't remember. Really? No, wait. Can you look it up really quick? I am going to attempt to look it up. That's the only scene he's in, though, that guy, right? Yeah, but he's like a well-known actor. What is his name? Why am I blanking? Is it Ed O'Neill from Married with Children? No, but Yeah, when he showed up, I was like, wait a minute. I forgot that he was in that movie. Um, What do you think would have happened had the guy not admonished him and instead said, come with me? It's Powers Booth. Powers Booth. Oh, it was. Okay. Yep. Um, like if he had said, come back and follow me, the rest of the movie would have been interesting. So <laughs> the thing, Friedkin did shoot 40 minutes of what is this, what was essentially gay porn. Um, he, he, like he describes, he's like, everything you see depicted in the movie, I shot and I shot in close up. <laughs> like he was like, I went for it and I shot it all. And he was like, I, had to go to the ratings board like 50 times. And the first time I submitted it, that 40 minutes was in the cut because I knew I Holy had shit. all of this stuff. And because they would demand to have that removed. And what I would be left with would be the movie that I knew I wanted. Got it. So I was like, God bless man. <laughs> he pulled a really extreme Wes Craven and scream. <laughs> That's smart. That's how you got to work with them. Yes. With this thing. Yeah. And doesn't the, I, I haven't seen it, but doesn't that James Franco documentary, Interior Leather Bar, try to like recreate what that would have looked like? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, can I just, can you just play an eternal fart sound from my microphone? <laughs> Thanks. That fart sound should be mentioned anytime his name is said. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I've always been slightly c- curious, but I was like, you know what? I don't feel safe in these hands. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, I wish you would have been able to watch some piss. Well, I watched. I watched. I, I will admit to it, it's called Interior Leather Bar, and I will admit to watching the first five minutes of it because I was like, okay, fine. What is this? Right. And the first five minutes are uh, James Franco and his buddy in a suite in the Chateau Marmont, going like, "Isn't it fucking crazy that we're gonna fucking do this?" Because like. I'm not gay and you're not gay. Like we're going to like, this is crazy. And you just go like, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) What did they do? (laughs) My review. (laughs) But I I did not watch the entire thing because I just, I, um, I, I am allergic to, uh, Straight people trash congratulating <laughs> congratulating themselves over depicting <laughs> queerness. It's right. Late. We're and so brave. Yeah, it's not a stretch. Do it, but don't don't be like, I'm amazing. Right. You just trying to get your pole smoke. <laughs> or what did that say? <laughs> got cut so you know that first scene with the yeah. squad car with de simone and when they assault the trans women so that scene 
went on for like at least another five to 10 minutes. And it involved the cops wanting the, uh, wanting the women to play liar's poker. So one of the cops, like he basically like bluffs that he like has a losing hand. And his punishment is that what he wants is to get whipped by his partner's nightstick on the hood of the car. And Friedkin shot it, and then he got rid of it. But it only serves to sort of reinforce the idea that, like, he was like, cops are bad. (laughs) Or, like, if, if a cop is bad, it's because they're bottling up a lot of shit that these other guys over here are just, like, indulging in. Um, I don't know. I have my thoughts, but... (laughs) <laughs> but I, fascinating. I would love to see that. It's kind of wild. Well, what about the killer? I was, saying, I was thinking when I was watching ahead, it Nick. last night, and it had been a while. It's like I feel like everyone in the movie looks alike almost. <laughs> when you go to the bar, I'm like, these are yeah, not. I agree. One person with a bunch of mirrors in here. I'm like the two, the two women in the beginning, <laughs> so fine. I was like, these are the hottest women I've ever seen, and then the rest of the movie was the same guy over and over again. <laughs> That's why I felt like every time we were like following, like I've seen this before and watching it the last time, I, I, I literally had to be like, wait, who is like, wait, these is it the same suspect or are there more than one? But. But um, it's on purpose. That's the thing that's like, it, it's like a lot of people can find that annoying. But like, after I saw it a couple of times, I realized and I, I'd missed this the first several times I'd seen the movie, which was that the, um, the killer in the St. James Hotel murder mm-hmm. is the victim ah. in the Central Park Ramble. And it's like this weird daisy chain of like, of identity, like, no, it, because like freaking was like, um, so you know, in the, the spinal tap scene in the exorcist, this was sort of this, the reason freaking wanted to do this movie was because the, the spinal tap nurse in the exorcist uh, scene where Reagan gets was a killer was a killer. Yeah. And his name was Paul Bateson. And you know, he was sort of, he was arrested for a number of murders that were cruising style, but like at the end of cruising, the police sort of forced him to confess to uh, more murders than he had perpetrated because they wanted to just like make this guy. They wanted to close it. Yeah. Yeah. But at at the end of the day, like Bateson wasn't responsible for all of them because there were multiple people preying on the community. And, um, and so that's why Friedkin made this choice. He wanted to, uh, to be deliberately, confusing about who's committing the murders because he was like, this is an existential thing. There's not, this is, this community is always under threat, whether it's by the people, whether it's by the people who are, they pay to protect them or, you know, people who are part of the community. Like there is, there, there, there is danger here that cannot just be explained away with like a happy ending of like, we caught the bad guy. Hooray. Right. And I read it as like one, just because one threat ends doesn't mean another does mm-hmm. you know and that the threat is always there yeah um you know but what about the um what do we think of like the the killer the the, the killer at the end the college student um with the, the journals and stuff um just want to talk about him because 
there is, I found a lot of, I sympathize with him quite a bit to be perfectly honest with you. Um, just from the point of view of my own life with my own father, nothing as drastic as his. Um, but I think in a lot of ways that's, especially then I'm assuming probably wasn't a very uncommon thing to be going through for a young gay man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to open up the conversation to that character and the choices that were made with that character and what y'all think. Don't be shy. Um, <laughs> I, I love that all the killers <laughs> speak in Stuart Richards' father's voice. <laughs> they all have the same voice. They have different bodies, but they have the same voice. They're all speaking from that, uh, f- from a sort of evil, patriarchal, homophobic perspective. Uh-huh. And so I think what I find fascinating is that, is that just because he did perpetrate, it's like, it's, it, you know, there's Ted Bailey, poor Ted Bailey. Talk about a quarantine mood, by the way. Ted ba- Bailey's outfits, like leather strap sandals, <laughs> street tank. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, yeah. what the love. But, um, uh, <laughs> but um, the fact that Ted turns up dead at the end of the movie. Yeah, that bumped me out. After yeah, Stuart speak- caught. Sorry, sorry. Speaking as the president of the Don Scardino fan club, um, this was a very upsetting moment for me. <laughs> I love him. Yeah, sorry. No, uh, he's really great. It, uh, he was also in He Knows You're Alone the same year, which is another fun slasher movie. I really like that movie. He's directed a ton of like 30 Rock and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and stuff. Like He's now a big TV guy. <laughs> and he was in Squirm. I love Squirm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, so... Were you going to say who you thought actually killed him? Because I'm curious about this. Who killed um, uh, Ted, Ted Bailey? So one of the reads of the movie that's always sort of dogged the movie is the idea that like Pacino's a nice guy, but as soon as he started going to the mine shaft and the wolf's den, he became a killer. Right. Nice. Right. Ted Bailey. And it's well, like didn't they at one didn't they at one point weren't they like potentially going to make the choice that he turned would turn into a killer. I thought I read that. I mean, that I don't, I can't speak to that. I do know that Friedkin was just like, I wanted it to be ambiguous at the end, not because I necessarily wanted to make people think that Pacino had killed someone, but I wanted, I, I wanted to uh, make it that there was, a, it was a shift in his, in his psyche that, you know, doing this work and, 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 and exploring this world had sort of shifted something in him and made him question a part of his sexuality that he never questioned before. I think it's possible that he killed Ted Bailey. It feels, it's never felt likely to me as a viewer. Like I've never like really bought into the possibility of that. If anything, I feel like he would have killed the other guy. My friend did it. James. Yeah. If anything, his boyfriend did it. He has the same kind of knife. He pulls on Pacino in that apartment fight. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like if Pacino would have killed one of the two of them, it would have been the other guy. Yeah. You know? He would have kept Ted alive. 
kept that alive. What a word choice. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I mean, as far as like Stuart Richards goes, like I find that character. I mean, I find all, all of the, the, the men in the movie, like sort of like, whether it's like Lauren Lucas, the first victim of the St. James hotel, who's like, I don't have anything to rob. You know, when he's yeah, that was sad. It's like there's a lot of sort of there's a lot of sadness to you know some of these some of these characters, Um, and I guess you know that's one thing that certainly the community could get up in arms about is like portrayal of like queer people as like sad and dejected and like you know the fringe, you know, but and lonely and every single one you know, there was no connections for anybody. Well, that's like the one wish list that I have about cruising is that I find the Karen Allen sections fascinating in the sense that, <laughs> I mean, poor Karen Allen, she's really good in the movie, but she exists to like have him show up at her apartment, rail her. Yeah. So he can prove, so he can prove his fatness. And, and then she'll be like, what's going on? What are you doing? And he's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, shut up, bitch. I'm undercover. <laughs> Just leave me alone. I'm quiet. <laughs> But, you know, uh, what I find, what I, what I wish, the movie hints at this, and I wish that it had done this a little bit, because it deals with the extremities of, like, here's domestic, quote-unquote, normal life with Karen Allen, and then here's, like, the wild and woolly world of BDSM. Woolly. Wild and woolly. You sort of get scenes with Ted Bailey and Pacino and, and Steve Burns where like they're um they obviously have a friendship. Ted Bailey is yeah. sweet and down to earth and he's an a writer and he has like kind of a worldview and he's just like a regular dude who doesn't He's got dreams and yeah. Dreams and he's not in the scene, you know, like he's just like you know, he's just a guy. And like I kind of wish that you could have had scenes of like, for example, like Ted inviting Steve over for dinner or to like have these domestic kind of scenes so that you could see a kind of interplay between, so to like further reinforce Steve wondering what it is he wants or what's in, what parts of him has he been ignoring? And that it's not just, um, I mean, look, obviously, I think, and I'm rambling, so I'll shut up, but, like, obviously, Ted <laughs> is there as a character to, you know, sort of help balance out the depiction of, to a predominantly straight audience of, like, there's the BDSM world, and then there's, you know, sort of, like, you know, non-fetish queer people. Um, and I think I, like, that's, like, the part of the movie that I kind of wish was there a little more, that was peppered. Yeah, I do, too. A little more to... Yeah. So that the Karen Allen character would have a kind of sort of like male uh, counterpart mm-hmm. that so that, that that would only serve to like further Friedkin's kind of, you know, thesis that, you know, undercover work, you know, can bring out parts of yourself that you don't, you know, that are just well, and I always felt the scenes with Ted were the times when Pacino was character is like most himself. Because in the cop world, he's playing a part. In the leather bar, he's playing a part. With Karen Allen, he's playing a part. 
And with Ted and those little intimate scenes at like the diners and stuff, it's really the only time he's truly, truly just kind of let his guard down and it's just being it's true. him in a way, you know? And I think this, the movie would have definitely benefited from actually developing that friendship mm-hmm. even more. Mm-hmm. Um, because by the time we do get to the confrontation mm-hmm. with him and Ted's boyfriend, it does feel a little bit out of left field to me. Cause I feel like we forgot where Ted was for a while. Yeah. And you know, like that, that whole plot subplot is kind of ignored for a bit of the film. And then all of a sudden we're back in it. And then that's, you know, and then the end, it's just kind of like, it's just a bummer. Yeah. I want more Ted. <laughs> Yeah, he could, he could have his own... Reboot, reboot, reboot. Ted's movie, Ted's movie. I think a spin-off sitcom would be appropriate. <laughs> Life with Ted. Ted yeah. and the BDSM cop. And right. Ed O'Neill could show up, too. Oh, if only. I love Ed O'Neill. Oh, my God. Ed O'Neill shows up in, this, in the movie, and I'm like, Al Bundy, we're part of the Married with Children universe. This is great. <laughs> well, because Married with Children is a heterosexual <laughs> horror film, so it, it oh. it's appropriate. Married with Children's the best. The Bundy oh balance. Um, We've talked about this. <laughs> but I, I am... I find that character of Al Bundy to be revolting to my very soul like i mean I that's watch him Glennon, that's the point <laughs> i know but like, it's a satire on the new nu- like the quote-unquote nuclear family it's mm-hmm. like oh it, yeah he's supposed to be revolting it's just i don't want to support that kind of uh behavior so oh come on um <laughs> I'm very pious and pure, in case you have not <laughs> I can see it in your frames. Um, <laughs> what? Okay, so I have a question. Mm-hmm. Or, slash a read. Scooby's eating my shoe. Um, so at the end of the movie, when he apprehends the guy in the park, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a part of any of you that feel he actually would hook up with that guy if that guy hadn't have pulled a knife on him? Because I got, watching it this time, I went back and forth being like, is he there to arrest him or is he there to have a good time? Right? Nay, I see your face. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, like, so I'm like, yeah, of course. But yeah, I like, know. I don't think he was solely there for police work. I think I it could have gone either way. I have, to stop, I have to stop myself from like shouting out answers because I'm like the Tracy Flick of this. Do it. This Do it, Tracy Flick. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> yes. Um, there are scenes earlier in the movie where Pacino is cruising Central Park in the right, river, and then he literally follows a guy into the trees, and then they cut to another day, and I'm like, I'm like, I guess, <laughs> I guess there were blowies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, a little rim action. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's uh, that's what went down. Um, so I would say yes, um, right? And I think and I I think you can't um, look. I don't I don't think that the the existential sort of crisis that Pacino's character undergoes over the course of the movie can happen solely from watching behavior. It has to occur thanks to participation and 
desire and desire and you know look I'm just made a horror movie face <laughs> I'm like, okay so I have this window in my apartment right here mm-hmm. in like a big giant 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 palm tree frond just mm-hmm. fell oh. out of the sky yeah. and it like crashed against the tree in the building to the point like it literally was a jump scare <laughs> and then Scooby started barking. <laughs> yeah, like it literally made me do this. Um, death by Pond Fron. <laughs> I did get a concussion from one of those. You got to watch out. They're heavy. Yeah. And they're a- big. Um, Brennan, I feel like only you would get a concussion from one of those. It's kind of my, my thing. Oh, poor B. Oh, I'm gonna beat up that. I'm beating up that palm front. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, can you imagine um, the police trying to infiltrate huh. the, the 2020 beat? Well, not 2020. The 2019 BDSM scene. Um, <laughs> and Al Pacino like making his grinder profile. Into trunks. Oh my god! Oh my god! Right now, hmm. do you want to go on the same type of casting as Pacino, or do you want to do like? Uh, okay, so freaking never liked Pacino's performance. Um, I agree, <laughs> Brennan. I was just gonna say, <laughs> never liked it. He likes it now. Like he's like. He, fine with it now, but his original choice, and he was uh, was uh, Richard Gere. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. yeah. It would have been so much more ambiguous and so much more yeah, kind of cute. like pretty boy, you know, like dangerous, alluring, and there's something mm-hmm. about Pacino that is not necessarily going to be, you know, um, I mean, you know, look, Richard Gere is American Gigolo, you know, like he's that guy. Well, like when you were, when your audio had cut out at the one point we were talking about that is like, I think the movie could have benefited from, because you were talking about the first scene when he's a cop and he, the one cop is like, we ever had gay sex and he's supposed to be all shy and giggly, you know, like, yeah, like, like the movie would have benefited from a younger more innocent looking person like Richard Gere from that yeah. moment on to me, mm-hmm. because he does that in that one scene. And like Brendan said, he doesn't make any choices the rest of the film. And you don't get to see that evolution where you would, if you cast like, like a Richard Gere at the yeah. time or, you know, or somebody like Lee Pace today. Um, if, we, if we were, <laughs> if mm. we were doing it now and we wanted someone to be that like hollow where you <laughs> You know, fill them up with whatever feelings you are projecting. Uh-huh. Zach Efron. Oh, in. Um, into it. Scooby agrees. He's all about that like, projection of masculinity and literally nothing else. Like, that's his kind of thing. And mm. I think it'd be interesting to see him, like, you know, filled up by, you know, men. Men. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sweaty. 
Uh, but can you imagine seeing Richard Gere sitting there with his boss being like, have you ever had your cocks up by <laughs> it would be, right? Richard Gere, like, kind of smirking. That would be so So who cool. else could we cast? Mark? <laughs> oh who else could we... Who else would you cast today? <laughs> hmm. Do we, have, do we have the same kind of, like, mask movie stars that, like, an Al Pacino would have been at the time? Like, See, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go that route in casting. Like, I would go like, like the Richard Gere yeah. way, you know. Or like a little bit softer, like a John Cena. <laughs> that that the Rock. The Rock Johnson cannot go undercover. <laughs> They'd be like, "That's the Rock." Nay, did you say? Nay, did you say Vin Diesel? That's genius. You want me member of this family to go undercover? <laughs> what did you think is me? <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel in cruising. Oh my god. Um. <laughs> Cabs are here. Um. <laughs> uh, I mean, I just, I'm sure. I just. I'm sure. I just love this movie because I, it just. It's so aggressive and it doesn't, it's not didactic. It doesn't tell you what to think, but it is aggressive about like sort of forcing a straight audience to like confront, to confront their preconceived notions about queer people, about queer sexuality and about the fetish world. And like, I don't think it's a mistake that he makes sure that the killer always says something like you made me do this. Right. Made me do that to his victims. Cause that's, that's that's like the definition of like a hate crime. And so there's something about that that doesn't say like it's purely gay on gay. It's like I don't know. It just like it just it, the movie just boils down anti gay violence to those like five words is it five words? Five words. And um I don't know. It's I think a lot of people at the time and, and even a bunch now would watch the kind of behavior that's depicted in cruising and say like, well, they got what they deserved. And I think, and I think that this movie sort of challenges an audience to, you know, to, to, uh, really examine that kind of preconceived notion. And, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's misunderstood and, you know, of course it's problematic. It's 40 years old. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is true. <laughs> right. What forty-year-old do you know that's not problematic? I don't know. We all are. It's the only thing we have left in common, truly in common. So, you know, I don't know. That's that's for my money. That's that's what I think. That's. that's I want to watch it again after discussing it with y'all. Well, okay. I mean, let's. I guess we could boil down this conversation with the pride float thing. Like, Ooh. what? Where? Where are we landing on that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it for sure gets one in 1980. That's for damn sure. Definitely. Yeah. You know, it's Grand Marshal probably. What's that name? I think 
think it gets one now too. It, it definitely. Oh gets fuck yeah! <laughs> it is its own. Like if Folsom was like Disneyland, like cruising is its own like Tomorrowland or Frontierland. Yeah, it's Epcot Center. Fetish <laughs> land. <laughs> cruising <laughs> center. It totally gets one. Like you know, there's there's always something. There, there's always going to be that kind of like iffy feeling and like fully being like, yes, cruising. But I, you know, it's so, uh, it, it does things in a way that you wouldn't even expect a movie to be like now, let alone in 1980. It, well, it's still daring. And I think the thing that is so, so great about the movie is the authenticity to it too. Like, like I was saying earlier, I think when you're in those scenes in, the bar it's it's showing an authentic it like it's just it just is like I, I i say stuff about what did i say earlier like it's not trying to sway you one way or another it's just showing you what's true um and i really applaud the movie for that because i don't like you know brendan you had mentioned like people straight people going and seeing it and using it as like a type moment. And, but the thing that I really find great about the movie is like Friedkin just shot what was real and it was up to the viewer. How are they going to react to it? Yep. And I think the whole movie has that going for it. It's just an authenticity to it. Even in Pacino's wooden performance to me, <laughs> there's authenticity to it and how he feels um, throughout the film. Like he's conflicted almost the entire movie, whether it's about the case, whether it's about himself, whether it's about these people um, in his life. Um, but at the end of the day, he wants Ted and he should have gone after Ted. You know, I feel like you guys are ignoring the fact that he makes a very specific choice in huffing hoppers and dancing. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> people need to stop showing Crisp and Glover. They need to show Al Pacino. That. I could not dance after poppers. When I when that whiff when that whiff whiff comes, I feel like I am falling a thousand feet from the top of a building, and like I just want to get a fucking train. Like that's the only feeling that comes. (laughs) <laughs> from poppers i can't imagine like party like dancing i know a lot of people do like do all kinds of things train poppers, but train i'm like train <laughs> mommy what are poppers <laughs> <laughs> well you see honey when mommy wants a train run on her <laughs> uh, i love you Nay. Uh, it's so good to see y'all I know, it's so good to see you guys. My God. I wish we were all in the same room. The cruising, um, the cruising float are the only cops at Pride. Yeah. Oh, love that. Hell yes. That should be a law. And they're, and they're dressed up. Mm -hmm. Jockstrap, (laughs) jockstrap cops. The precinct. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, I love it. And then just like spraying like a leather scent yes. everywhere. <laughs> oh, I fucking love it. Shoes. Ooh. Oh my God. <laughs> By the way, did I, I want to recommend, I love Arrow Video so much and they, their remaster of this movie and their, their Blu-ray edition of it is 
fantastic. So do you oh, that's great to know. Oh my no. god, so worth dropping some. If you're a fan of the movie and you are interested in knowing more, they have two separate commentaries on it: one with Freakin, one with Freakin and Mark Kermode. They have these vintage docs about it um, that really go into the history and the history of protests that was associated with the making of the movie, and it's just just great. And you know, what else are you doing with your life right now? So, you know. I was actually surprised. Brian and I, I believe we watched a 4K version of it. Um, I believe the version on iTunes is 4K, which is pretty wild to me. Got a 4K restoration. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of well, studios. You can color timed it again when digital technology was available. And that's now, so that he's like, this is the version that it should have looked like. It yeah, it's really awesome. Like way back when. So. Yeah. Um, well, Mark, thank you so much for rejoining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me, guys. This has been such a, this has literally been the highlight of, of my week. Thank you. It's so nice to see your face. a lot of fun. And to talk about a, a, an unfairly maligned, in my opinion, movie. Um, and take well, I think out. four out of four on, four out of four on Pride Floats. Yeah. That hasn't happened in a while. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram at senior teen and, uh, and I'm back on my bullshit on Twitter. At, <laughs> at- <laughs> <laughs> Nay, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at black cupcake and my art Instagram is body Los Angeles. Yippee. You can find me on Instagram at Michael TJ Kennedy. You can find me on Twitter at Michael Ken Ken. You can find the show at Queer Wolf Pod. And Brennan, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at It's Raining Brens. And you should also join our Facebook group, Attack yes. the Queer Wolf Pack, moderated by last week's guest, BJ Calandula. Mm. Well, this was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you. 